Good afternoon and welcome to the Council of American Ambassadors Roundtable event with Ambassador Adrian Zuckerman, recently returned as the U.S. Ambassador to Romania. Ambassador Zuckerberg is actually joining us from Bucharest today. I'm Kathleen Sheehan, the Executive Director of the Council. I just want to make uh, two housekeeping notes. First, we're going to be recording today's conversation. And second, we strongly encourage questions from the audience. To submit a question, all you have to do is use the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. And with that, I'm very pleased to turn the floor over to Council Member Ambassador Jim Rosepep, himself a former U.S. Ambassador to Romania. So Ambassador Rosepep, it's all yours. Thanks a lot, Kathleen. Uh, Adrian, thanks for joining us today. And thanks to all the CA members who are with us. Um, I had never met Adrian until he was uh, nominated by President Trump uh, to be ambassador to Romania. And so, of course, I read up on him and then we got together. And the many things that I learned about his background that are very relevant to his service for our country, uh, one of which is he's a very distinguished real estate lawyer, long career uh, in real estate law in New York, graduate of MIT, undergraduate, graduate of New York Law School. And he was born in Romania. Uh, he is only the second U.S. ambassador to Romania of Romanian heritage and the first one who was born there uh, and speaks the language. I assure you, I tried to learn, but um, we're not going to give a test on that today, Ambassador Zuckerman. Um, obviously, that gave him the kinds of insights into the country in which he was representing the United States that most of us don't have, frankly. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things today, but I want to start off uh, by asking Adrian, um, I think you, you were only back in Romania once after you left with your family at about age nine or 10, um, before you came back as ambassador. Um, when you came back so many years later to Romania, uh, the place where you were born and were a child, uh, what had changed and what hadn't changed? Uh, before I answer your question, sure. uh, Jim, Ambassador please, Rosa Pep, please, and I always please. have a problem mispronouncing your last name, so I apologize in advance for that. But, but just a quick note of thanks. First of all, I have to thank Jim, uh, as I mentioned to him a few minutes ago. Uh, after I was nominated, he was incredibly gracious to me. and We had dinner in Washington, and we discussed his time in Romania and his brilliant book about his time in Romania and his travels through Romania while ambassador and subsequently. Uh, and for those of you who haven't read it, you really should. It's just a tremendous book. Uh, uh, and thank you for dinner, Jim. I still owe you a dinner. I think. Uh, uh, secondly, uh, I want to thank uh, Kathleen Sheehan and uh, Jocelyn Young for uh, putting the program together tonight. Uh, uh, they're absolutely terrific. So thank you for your hard work in organizing this. Uh, I left Romania when I was nine and uh, we lived in Italy for eight or nine months in Rome, principally, uh, before we went to the United States. I grew up in New Haven and I didn't come back to Romania until about, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago, give or take. And uh, there were a lot of changes. Uh, it was a tr tremendous amount of changes. Uh, I was only here then for about uh, 10 days, two weeks with my daughter. 
and uh, uh, your recollections of things when you're nine as compared to your recollection of things when you're 39 as I am now, just kidding, I wish, uh, are, are quite different. But one of the things which I have to bore all of you with uh, is uh, one of the first things I did when I came back as ambassador uh, was look for the house where I grew up. And um, I keep a picture on my desk. And I don't know if you could see this, but yes. the top two rooms up here, my family and I grew up in two rooms, uh, only cold water. Uh, that's my daughter with me when she was here last January. And uh, you had to heat with firewood that you kept in a basement, carry upstairs and, and use terracotta stoves. Jim, I'm sure you're familiar with them having been here. Most people in the States or that have not seen Eastern Europe, not Romania specifically, but this was typical for most of the Eastern European countries have no idea what that means, but uh, there's still areas of Romania that heat their houses that way. Uh, and Romania and a lot of the other Eastern European countries uh, are still in a state of uh, uh, flux, growth, and uh, it's really a tale of two cities where you have uh, very technologically advanced areas, uh, financially advanced areas, and you have very rural or mountainous areas that are the other extreme of the uh, socioeconomic scale. So there's a lot of work and growth that has to take place here to uh, elevate the, the standard of living, as you well know, Jim, because you've seen it on your travels through the country. So that was a long way of answering your question. Oh, it's a, it's, I apologize it's, it's, for taking so no, long. No, having a picture of where you lived as a kid, that's above and beyond the call of duty. I, I think that may be the, maybe the first uh, guest on this series who, who showed us the picture of where they were a kid. So I think it's, it's, it's terrific and really very interesting. Um, let's switch over to more or less today in the last year or so in the COVID crisis. It's been a worldwide crisis but it's played out in different ways in different places. So you were there obviously all last year during the COVID crisis. Uh, you know, you're back now, uh, both back in the United States and now today, literally back in Romania. So can you kind of fill us in on how the crisis, both health-wise and economically has played out in Romania? Uh, it's very interesting. And let me just start off by saying in many ways, uh, Romania is very similar uh, to the Northeast of the United States. Uh, Climate-wise, uh, many socially, uh, I think a lot of, there are a lot of Romanian people in New York and the greater New York area, uh, Washington. Uh, there are also a lot of Romanians in Chicago and LA, but but uh, I, I, I think it very much resembles the Northeast of the United States. Uh, I was here before COVID started and things shut down 
uh, more or less uh, the middle of March of last year. And I remember that because I, I was in the United States and I flew back and I got here, I think on a Wednesday and I had tickets to the opera to see Rigoletto and the next day everything got shut down. And I remember being very disappointed. They have an extremely wonderful opera in uh, Bucharest. Very talented group of uh, performers. Uh, and after that, I think Romania, like the United States, like the rest of Europe, struggled with what the best way to contain and deal with this scourge was. Um, I think they thought they had it under control. I think it grew out of control from being very limited. Everybody thought it was going to be short-lived, and it was not. We had a second and third wave. Uh, one of the issues of uh, big concern for Romania was the limited capacity of, it, of its health system, which made some of the government reactions perhaps a little harsher than they would have been in other countries, but they had limited uh, hospital beds, limited uh, uh, professionals, medical doctors and nurses. And, uh, uh, and like the United States, they struggled having uh, the personal protective equipment uh, in sufficient numbers. They didn't have masks, they didn't have the protective uh, garments. Uh, they did not have uh, uh, sufficient oxygen. Nobody in the world was prepared for this. But to the Romanians' credit, and I have to give them a lot of credit because I believe they responded uh, superbly, uh, they developed resources within the country to produce masks and protective equipment. They created oxygen. Uh, we helped them uh, uh, bring in um, uh, protective equipment from South Korea, uh, the U.S. Uh, Air Force, the heavy uh, lift wing uh, uh, contributed, I don't know, something on the order of a million dollars to arrange for some flights over, loaded with protective equipment. And uh, similar to the U.S., uh, the Romanians ordered various industries to start producing ventilators and uh, stockpiling oxygen and building and manufacturing uh, protective equipment. So uh, uh, I, I, their response was uh, uh, tremendous, very responsive, and I think they handled it about as well as any uh, Western country handled this nightmare. Uh, the other thing which I have to mention, and I'm very proud of the Romanians, they sent a flight of um, about 15 or so doctors and uh, toxicologists to Alabama uh, uh, to assist uh, uh, U.S. victims and to also go around with the Alabama National Guard 
to learn, see how they're dealing with these issues and to uh, show the guard how they had been dealing with these issues in Romania and Moldova. I know my friend, uh, Lindy Blanchard's on the call. So Lindy, if you're on, how are you? Lindy's from Alabama and uh, I hope uh, she's the next Senator from Alabama. <laughs> so uh, We're behind you, Lindy. <laughs> For those who aren't as familiar uh, with Eastern Europe and American relations, uh, during the uh, Bush one administration has been continued all the way since, the US government has partnered state national governments with the militaries in Eastern Europe. And uh, Alabama is partnered with the Romanian military, which is there are lots of folks from Alabama and Romania going back and forth. And it's good to hear that. I'm sure they were very proud to come over and, and try to help us. We needed, everybody needed help. So. Yeah, the Romanians did a great job. Uh, the defense minister, uh, Chuka, uh, is tremendous. The Chad Petrescu, uh, tremendous. Uh, they are very high uh, level of sophistication. Uh, and uh, they really care about the United States. They know how much the United States uh, cares about Romania. They've committed, in essence, to have the United States be a core pillar of their defense and future strategy. Uh, and to me, um, they're, they've, they were just tremendous. Uh, the U.S. has no better friend uh, in these parts than Romania. It's just a tremendous relationship. Let me suggest members start posting questions that you have and we'll ask them as, as they come along. I ask two more questions related to COVID and then move over to strategic issues and um, foreign policy issues. Is to what extent um, was Romania helped or hurt or not affected in the COVID crisis by being in the European Union? Because the European Union was doing certain things and individual countries could do certain things. Was that very relevant, the fact that they were in the Union, good, bad, or ugly? You know, that, that's really an excellent question. And I wish my memory was better <laughs> because the issues at the beginning, I don't know how deliberate they were, but I think each country was struggling to figure out what was best for that particular country. And there were some countries where the pandemic was worse than others. Some were under lockdown and while others had virtually zero infection rates. So uh, it, was, it, it went from zero to 100% in lockdown in other countries and everything in between. So it was difficult to coordinate and have a unified strategy when you had those kinds of facts on the ground. Unfortunately, once you had uh, this so-called second wave hit, everybody seemed to suffer. And I think the Europeans, uh, for the most part, all got on the same page with similar, if not uh, exact type of uh, restraints, responses, uh, trying to control uh, uh, 
the scourge. Uh, I mean, it was just a horrific year and a half, which turned the European economy upside down. Uh, it turned the US economy upside down. Uh, but I think we're all more resilient than the Chinese think. And uh, the Wuhan virus, uh, I think, will be proven to have come out out of Wuhan. And uh, my guess is it probably wasn't accidental, but who knows? We'll see. One last question on COVID, and then I'm going to take a question from Ambassador Harris. So bring us up to today. You're in Bucharest literally this evening. What is the situation in Romania today with vaccinations and the economy and compare it to the United States? Because you're back and forth now a lot. Um, Romania is, frankly, it's doing great. It's got the highest growth rate in the EU. Uh, I think they're up near six, seven percent again, which is tremendous. Uh, they survived last year. And I have to say this, the, the prime minister, Kitsu, uh, was the finance minister last year. And I think the Romanians uh, really struggled to get the cash flow, to keep the economy running, to keep people eating and uh, uh, with all the different shutdowns and notwithstanding the tremendous borrowing and the financial uh, I was going to say manipulations, but that's the wrong word. But the financial restructuring and borrowing that was happening, uh, they managed to keep Romania's credit rating intact, which a lot of people uh, did not think was possible, which was a great feat because had the credit rating gone down, interest rates would have gone up and it would uh, crater the economy. Uh, against this backdrop, they were left with some very onerous uh, uh, pension increases that the prior PSD government left them, uh, which they managed to get beyond. Uh, and I think uh, uh, a tremendous, tremendous amount of credit uh, needs to go to uh, uh, the current prime minister for his work as the finance minister over the uh, last year during the height of uh, the COVID crisis here. Hey, thank you. I'm going to read Ambassador Harris's question. Adrian, Harry Harris here. Good seeing you and congrats on a fab tour in Romania. I wonder if you'd like to talk briefly about the Aegis uh, Ashore site in uh, Devatogla. He has a second question that I'll come back to after you answer that one. Uh, Harry, it's, it's great to have Rosa Pep uh, read your question. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, uh, kudos on your great service uh, over the last uh, year or so, year and a half, however long it's been. Uh, Aegis Ashore uh, is an anti-ballistic missile system located in a place called Devicello, and it protects not just Romania, uh, it, uh, it protects uh, most of, let's just say, Eastern Europe. There may be uh, some enhancements in the work, in the works. Um, I won't get into that. Uh, but 
contrary to what Chinese, Russian, and other propaganda say, uh, it's not an offensive weapon. It's solely a defensive weapon that basically knocks down missiles that are aimed uh, at Europe. Uh, uh, and mostly from the Middle East area uh, uh, and Iran and uh, that area of the world. Uh, but I also have to point out, if I may, Harry, with your indulgence, and Harry asked me about that because it's called the Aegis Ashore because it's basically the deck house off a Navy ship and Harry had a long and distinguished career as the commander of the Pacific Fleet. So uh, he probably knows more about Aegis Ashore than I will ever know. Uh, but over the last year, uh, which is uh, frankly uh, rewarding to me given what's been going on over the last two, three months, uh, the US has uh, brought in a tremendous amount of high-tech uh, military uh, equipment to Romania. Uh, State-of-the-art patriots, HIMARS, which uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, they're high-mobility um, artillery rocket uh, shells, uh, uh, coastal strike missiles, uh, various uh, helicopters, uh, and other weapons to make... Uh, Romania or give Romania the ability uh, to be a credible defense force uh, against any sort of uh, Russian incursion or other incursion on its borders. And for that matter, the borders of Eastern Europe. Uh, uh, where we are today, we have Poland and Romania as the Eastern flank of the European Union and Europe putting up a wall against Russian aggression. And the US is uh, heavily uh, supporting uh, both countries in that aspect, uh, as well they should be. Uh, and Romania and Poland uh, are about as close now as they've ever been in um, that defensive posture. Harry, I'm sorry I strayed beyond your initial question, so I hope you indulge me. Well, now we'll take a second question, which you touched on. It's a great transition. So what are the Chinese up to in Romania? I'm sorry, what's what? What are the Chinese up to in Romania? You know, uh, the Chinese are up to no good, not just in Romania, but around the world. I think uh, my friend Keith Kroc uh, had it right, uh, trying to set up the clean pathways and clean networks and uh, uh, setting forth the danger of Chinese companies, which are basically owned and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, uh, the disinformation coming out of China is tremendous. The disinformation coming out of Russia is tremendous. I don't think people realize uh, how, how bad it is. Um, I think um, they've been pushing very hard 
against the Romanians passing a 5G law. Uh, that law is about to pass. Uh, the government has approved it. Uh, one house of parliament, it's a bicameral parliament here. One house has approved it. The other one will approve it shortly and it'll be signed into law, which will uh, basically preclude Chinese involvement on national security basis uh, in uh, the 5G world, which is a law that uh, we pushed heavily last year and uh, basically um, has been bogged down in the parliamentary system here due to the tremendous tens of millions of dollars in spending by the Chinese opposing it, but it's gonna pass anyway. Uh, the Chinese were brought in here Oh, I don't know. I guess they were here during the communist years. Uh, they have a number of businesses here. Uh, uh, one of the things where we were successful last year, we were able to convince the Romanians to terminate their contract to uh, build and renovate uh, the, the Chernovoda nuclear plant. So they're out of there which I think was a big blow. Uh, we have uh, two great American companies leading that project, which is uh, a great um, uh, success for the United States. Uh, we have Exum providing, US Exum providing uh, financing up to $7 billion of that project. Uh, and I think that's a great success story for the United States. Um, and a big defeat for the Chinese here, which they stung from. However, they still have the Confucius schools here. They still have a big propaganda machine. They are still pushing to try to build infrastructure. Uh, uh, it's, it's an incredibly volatile and dangerous situation with the Chinese. We have a question from Ambassador April Foley, which I'm going to come to in a minute, but I wanted to follow up on this question of the Chinese briefly. When I was ambassador like 20 years ago, uh, Romanians, both in government and individual in the street, had a very clear view of Russia. They were, didn't like them and they were afraid of them. China was much less visible and much less of a player 20 years ago when I was there. What is the attitude of Romanians, the ordinary people and the political class towards the Chinese? Is it similar to the attitudes of the Russians or different? That's a good question. Uh, yes and no. It's similar in some respects. It's different in others. I, I think the Russians are generally, I'm not sure they're feared anymore. They're just generally disliked. They've invaded Romania 15 times, 20 times. I'm not sure how many times. So uh, most Romanians uh, have little, no affinity for the Russians. The Chinese, uh, on the other hand, uh, have taken a different approach, a propaganda approach to try to bring businesses in. Uh, I think... Uh, the PSD party, which is the remnants of the former communist party, have a greater affinity with them. Uh, as an example, they're the only 
political party in Romania that signed the uh, birthday ledger of the Chinese Communist Party last year. So that should give you some in indication of that relationship. Uh, so uh, I think they have hopes of God knows what. I don't think a lot of people in Romania realize the dangers that the Chinese pose to the economy, to the infrastructure, to human rights. Uh, the Chinese in Romania, uh, like elsewhere in the world, dump their prod products here at way below cost. Uh, and they, they will do anything to try to infiltrate a variety of businesses, technological, as well as infrastructure type businesses, construction with below uh, cost arrangements to try to get control of an influence uh, in this area. And it's just a very, very dangerous situation where I believe we have to stand up and say no, uh, which we did under the Trump administration. Uh, uh, I think Keith Kroc and his policies and the president's policies, which he advanced for clean networks and clean pathways was, was very efficient. Uh, and uh, I hope we continue to stand up uh, and say no to this constant Chinese push to expand everywhere, not just Romania. Thank you. Um, now, Ambassador Foley's question. Is the ExxonMobil offshore gas development deal totally off or can it be revived? Ask the ambassador what deal is being referred to because uh, Romania has a very uh, rich offshore uh, oil and gas supply. There's one smaller field, which is coming online this August, September, October, depending on production. It's run by a uh, Carlisle-backed consortium. Uh, it's called the uh, BSOC, which stands for Black Sea Oil and Gas, and they've done a tremendous job. Uh, the Exxon field, which is called Neptune Deep, uh, is a much larger field uh, Exxon has had issues there and has been seeking to divest and sell its interests there for the last couple of years or so, two, three years. There were a variety of unfriendly legislation passed. Some was changed. There's still a couple of issues regarding tax and use, which remain to be changed and should be changed the, at some point during this year. Uh, but as I understand it, Exxon is still seeking a buyer. There have been offers from various people. The government of Romania may be looking at that, but uh, that's just speculation. So if the question was, are they, is Exxon still seeking to divest of its interests here? I believe the answer to that is yes. Uh, I'm not involved directly in any of those discussions. Is that still yes? I don't know. And I don't know who the 
potential buyer is. But I can tell you this, there was uh, last year, there was interest by Luke Oil, which is the Russian uh, gas and oil company and uh, the Romanians, because Exxon was intransigent, the Romanians passed a law barring an emergency law barring Luke Oil from buying into this thing, so buying Exxon's interest, an emergency regulation. So uh, that's where we are in essence. Gotcha. It sounds like it's not alive, but it's not dead. Well, I think there's a deal cooking. Let's put I got it you. that I way. I understand. No, I, I, I understand. Thank you. We got another question, this time for from Governor and Ambassador James Gilmore. When I arrived in Vienna at the OSCE, the first friendly contact was a Romanian ambassador to the OSC. We became good friends. My question, what is the level of concern of Romania as to the Russian presence in Moldova and their troops supporting the breakaway region of Transnistria? Uh, as always, uh, Jim has a great insight into all of these things. And I want to thank him for uh, his great work representing the United States at the OSCE. Um, uh, and he and I uh, collaborated on uh, a couple of issues. I wish we would have done more together. Uh, I think Moldova causes a great degree of concern for Romania. Romania has tried to support Moldova and the rule of law and the democratic process in Moldova as much as it could. There is a new uh, West-leaning uh, prime minister over there after elections uh, last year, uh, which is a great uh, relief for Romania. Uh, the Russian troops in uh, Transnistria, Jim, the Russians say they're just uh, old guards uh, guarding some uh, antiquated uh, rifles from the Second World War, which I frankly don't believe for a second. I think the troops are there to create uh, uh, the political pressure on the people of Moldova and to try to get a more friendly government to the Russians there. Uh, I think Moldova, like Crimea, uh, which is a big problem now um, for Europe uh, and frankly for the rest of the world, uh, uh, could be a tremendous problem. Half the population, or a little less than half now because many Romanian people have emigrated, but about half the population in Moldova is Romanian, and they all have Romanian passports. The other half is of Russian ethnicity. Uh, and uh, it's a problem for Romania. Most of Moldova was part of Romania uh, prior to the Second World War. Um, in Crimea, as I mentioned, it's tantamount to having in the too bad we can't hear Harry live on this because he would give us some great insight from the military strategic point of view. 
But Crimea is like a uh, land aircraft carrier. It's a peninsula that sticks out into the Black Sea. Prior to the Russians taking over Crimea a number of years ago, uh, the Russian fleet in the Black Sea was a rusting hulk of stuff. Right now, the uh, Russian Black Sea fleet is comprised of state-of-the-art ships. Uh, they have regular exercises where they declare vast areas of the Black Sea off limits for uh, commercial uh, traffic. Uh, and they're basically wreaking havoc and trying to intimidate the Romanians, the Ukrainians, and all the other countries uh, bordering uh, the Black Sea. Uh, and if you look at it strategically, from Romania uh, uh, and from uh, the Ukraine, you can control the Middle East. You have missiles that reach Europe. You can go in a lot of areas within 1,500, 2,000 miles without too much trouble. So it's a very strategic uh, position that the Russians managed to get and maintain. Uh, and it's a um, very, very big uh, problem and source of uh, concern for the Europeans and the Romanians. Let me follow up on that, mentioning Ukraine. Um, Ukraine is obviously uh, a neighbor of Romania. It obviously is not in NATO or the European Union. It obviously was part of the former Soviet Union. As you just pointed out, it's where Russian troops on the eastern side and in Crimea are located today. And as recently in the last month or so, it's been a flashpoint in terms of conflict. How does that look from Romania? How do, how do they look at, the, at Ukraine? How do they look at the Ukrainians? What are their relationships with them? Where, where do they see Ukraine going from their point of view? Uh, that's a complicated question, and I'm not sure there's a simple answer. I think they're more concerned about the Ukraine and Moldova as a consequence of Ukraine than others in Europe, uh, because obviously they're much closer to it. Uh, and Moldova is a key component of that, but so is the state of the Ukraine. And I think one of the important lessons uh, for us to learn there is that when we support our allies like Ukraine and provide them with assistance, real military assistance and real help, other allies will stand up and follow our lead with respect to other issues. When we equivocate, when we do not show leadership, when we are weak, uh, we do not follow through on promises we made, it doesn't just affect the insular country. It affects a lot of our other allies like Romania, like Poland, like other countries 
which have to make a variety of decisions and they have to say, look, they said the same thing to us. Can we take that to the bank or not? So it is a very, very important strategic decision-making process of how the United States deal with deals with these issues, not just for Ukraine, but for a lot of our other European allies, because these things are not just one-offs. It's a much bigger picture. So I'm not sure that answered your question exactly, but uh, it's a problem. Uh, I I can't put it better than that. And it's a fluid and dynamic problem, uh, which grew to a boiling point. Uh, the U.S. decided not to put in ships into the Black Sea a couple of months ago. Uh, people took notice of that. Uh, a lot of people took notice of that. So was it the right decision or the wrong decision? Not for me to say, but people took notice uh, of our absence. Now, we just had a big NATO exercise in Romania, uh, which I think was very effective to send a message. Uh, And I think it's very important that messages of strength and unity are delivered consistently with the same voice by the United States and all of its European allies. Well, what I hear you saying is that the negotiation relationship of the United States with one nation affects relationship with other nations because everybody's looking at everybody. So I, I can see why your background in real estate negotiation was very helpful to this job because it sounds a lot like real estate negotiation as well. <laughs> it, it's all widgets. <laughs> I understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up with one last question. Um, what is what, the one or two most interesting things you learned during your term as ambassador about yourself, about America, about Romania, foreign policy, whatever it is, what was the most interesting thing you learned during your time there? Um, I learned a number of things. I hope I learned, you know, I always tell my daughter, make sure you learn something new every day. So I try to do the same thing, but I, I it was a unique experience uh, being given the opportunity to represent our great country uh, in Romania. And uh, uh, I will always uh, be grateful to to President Trump for giving me that opportunity. Uh, I think that I found out how great the United States is. One of the things that truly amazed me is getting a list of funds that come into Romania from the United States, from agencies I had never even heard of before, and from private sources. It's an enormous sum of money that most people don't hear about. Uh, And the same type of funding goes into virtually every other country around the world. So what really impressed me is uh, how great the United States is, how charitable we are, how concerned we are about other countries. And I hope that we can continue that and, and move that forward. The other thing that, that uh, uh, truly uh, impressed me is how uh, well 
uh, I've been received uh, by the Romanian people, uh, not just the government people, which many of them uh, have become uh, close personal friends, but just ordinary people. Uh, and it was very rewarding and emotional experience for me uh, to have that. So, um, uh, I also think my last thought on this, sure. I think and one of the things perhaps I can ask all of you to take back home or discuss with your friends and others, very few Americans on a percentage basis have been overseas to visit places like Romania, like Poland, like uh, any other country. Uh, the most you get is people going to Italy or France or something like that on uh, a week's vacation. But go to Africa, go abroad, see what these places are like. And then you realize um, <clears throat> how great the United States is and what we should be doing to continue uh, the efforts to keep the United States great. Because if it was not for the United States, most of these countries around the world would be without any hope. And I think it's important that we understand and remember that. So that's what I got. I, th I think on that note, it's a wonderful, upbeat message that I think many of us who have represented our country in many different countries in the world uh, can identify with. Adrian, thanks for joining us today. And thanks to everybody for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jim. And thank you, Kathleen. <laughs>